CorporalNetwork.com. This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again. And listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Welcome to the Tome Book Club for March 2015. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in full book club style. And our book this time around is the second in our one-a-month non-D&D book, Expanding Our Horizons book series. This time around, it was Eric's pick, and he picked Durrani Rising. Uh, the next book that we will read is the third of our non-D&D uh, book series that we think might be of interest to the D&D players. Uh, and it is Jim Butcher's Furies of Calderon. Uh, you may know Butcher from his Dresden File series. This book is the first in his series where he goes into a full-fledged fantasy setting. Um, and I've got some more sort of background on that, but I'll save it for next month. Awesome. Before we get into this episode, we should talk about our sponsor, Noble Knight. They're a great game store that specializes in finding the outer print. Our pick for this episode is the Durrani Adventure Game Offerings. There's a core game, dice, and a poster map. Eric, could you tell us a little bit more about this game? Yes. Hello, guys. Uh, oh, we didn't even introduce our guests. <laughs> we got all the way to, the, to, to that and didn't introduce people. We have Eric with us, guys. That's yes, shouldn't, that shouldn't Yay. be a surprise, but we also have Christine. That's what I get for writing the script right before the episode. Uh, well, anyways, back to the uh, Dorini game. Uh, yes, the Dorini Adventure game by published by Grey Grove's Press. From, you know, uh, most of the book it uses the fudge system, which is a sort a precursor to the what is more known as the Fate Core system. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but it's skill base. It's uh, uses the fudge fate dice me- mechanics. Lots of focus on the story, and you actually create your character using status, and you can be decide if you're a Dorini or not, and all that. At the end of the book, too, there is a D20 version of the game. That so you, for those who are more familiar with D and D, third edition, uh, or you can use that, or with a new D and D, which since Third edition is easily convertible. Okay, so so <laughs> I mean, is there a lot of setting material in this book? Um, in yes. that, that I could pick it up and, and use the setting sort of uh, in other editions if I wanted to play it in fourth or fifth. Yes, there, well, there's there is lots of setting information about talking details about mm-hmm. the classes, the, the, the various social classes. They mm-hmm. uh, have sections in the. Uh, talking about the various region. They don't go in depth to each region, but they do have sections, paragraphs that you can go and read about it. And uh, most of the most of the text that they provide is a good information of a dark age medieval period that you will see that we saw in reading the books. Very good. Noble 90s in online game store D&D, they got that and more And if you think out of print games are nice Shop 
noble knight Cause they've got the best price And if you got gaming products to sell Then noble knight will buy them as well So go to the place where gaming's the bomb And head over to noblenight.com And don't forget to tell them The Tone Show sent ya all right, we are back. Now it's time to talk about Durani Rising. Now, now, Eric, this was your pick, um, so I don't know if you're prepared to give any background information. If not, I happened to read the Wikipedia article on it uh, earlier today, so I can do a little bit of that too. <laughs> do you know any of the background sort of behind the story or, or the book? I know it was published in 1970. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book that I've read doesn't have an introduction, but I know that Christine, when she had, that was an introduction by Catherine Kurtz talking about the book, so she might be actually more ready. Christine, do you, do you know any more of the background on the on the book? Yeah, yeah, actually I was rereading the introduction while, while we were waiting. Uh, so, um, Catherine, from what, I, from what I read from her, Catherine Kurtz was a great fan of fantasy and science fiction growing up. And from what I, uh, she was not, she actually didn't want to really start writing, but uh, she did write a bit. And then she met um, the Ballantines, mm-hmm. who wanted to start up an adult fantasy series. And they were one of the first, she was one of the first authors they wrote, they signed up. So um, they've, and uh, she w- she had submitted a trilogy. She apologizes because she was she's saying that she was part of the people that uh, that part of the problem on s- insisting that everything was a trilogy uh-huh. uh, <laughs> for a long while. Um, and on how uh, she does follow a lot of tropes in here that in future books do go by the wayside a little bit. So very good. And a little bit of what I read um, ahead of time was that apparently the book got a, a revision in, I think it was 2004, where some of the some material was actually added to the book, um, and it became a little bit longer. This So this was the first book uh, in the setting, but it, but there was another series that was written later that were, was actually a prequel, and to give some of the background. Yes, uh, which, the St. Camber series. Yeah, so which makes some sense because... Um, as I, I mean, as, as I'm reading this book, I, I recognize that there is clearly a backstory here, um, you know, that, that is being referenced and, and talked about quite a bit, although it's the first book written in the, in the setting. So there's no expectation that you know that, um, but, but it's certainly referenced and it makes you sort of wonder, well, you're talking about all these great adventures. What happened? But apparently she had um, at some point gone back and written some of those adventures. The version that I've read was the pre-revised version. Okay. The- Guys have the pose, but there's apparently from well, my gather, there's minor changes. But yes, she she says what the present uh, see but these books are accessible to young readers, and she's made some changes in terms of grammar, hmm. but not much. Not much in the story. No. Okay. Very cool. All right, so so let's talk more about it. I mean, I already sort of uh, started talking a little bit about it, but um, let's talk about it. What, what is Durani Rising? What's it about? Let's hear from Tracy. We haven't heard from Tracy yet. 
It's about dragons. No, uh, <laughs> there are no dragons. <laughs> I know. It's very sad. Oh, I know. Uh, it's mainly about this uh, prince mm-hmm. whose father was just killed, and he's about to to take on the throne. But uh, between his mother and other people, uh, it looks like he might not make it to the throne. <laughs> They're yeah. all out to kill him. And on top of it, his uh, father's trusted advisor, who he sends for, is uh, Durrani, which is, uh, I don't know how to, what exact term you would use, but like not human, mm-hmm. but humanoid. So I feel like elves. I just keep calling him an elf in my head. Yeah, uh, do we ever get really an explanation in terms of uh, that, they, that they appear different? In my head, they, they look just like humans. They just happen to have sort of innate magical sci- slash psionic abilities, right? Yeah, they're, right. they're psionic. Yeah. They, they, they don't look any different. There's no obvious way to tell, oh, you're Dorini or you're not. Mm-hmm. So The only time that you see them is when they are using their abilities. Right. They, they have this aura that shows up of a different, of a various color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't think they necessarily looked any different. It was just more elf to me because so often in fantasy books, elves are the ones with the magic. And, and humans aren't as much, so uh, so that's why I thought it that way. But yeah, so um, Draini, there's uh, a lot of fear and dislike of them, so it's like its own version of racism in the world, mm-hmm. uh, and there's this huge epic fight of magic at the end. Yeah. <laughs> I, know that, I know that's not great. But... Yeah, and, and, and it's sort of, it's against this, um, was it the, the, sh- the Dark One, the Shadow Lord, something like that? Shadowed one. Yeah, it was some, I knew it was something, you know, very sort of typical, right? Uh, or or pos- possibly archetypical. Um, but but um, I felt like that villain was almost underdeveloped, you know? Like, clearly, again, there was, there was a history here, but we didn't really get much of that history. We just knew that this, this woman um, wanted to, to kill the prince and take over the, the kingdom, right? Yes, and revenge for her father's oh, death. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which was never really explained, but was referenced. Uh, yeah. Morgan and Brian. Yeah, Brian. Uh, killed the Marduk, who was her father. Mm-hmm. And he used to... I'm thinking that, based on the little hints that you get, she her, her family was probably the ruling family of this country. Gwyneth. Uh, ruling country of Gwyneth. Centuries Gwyneth ago, or Gwynedd? What? Is it Gwyneth or Gwynedd? Well, it's a double D, so usually oh, they I see. like to put that as a uh, uh-huh. uh, as, as a uh, Gaelic thing. So it would right. be Gwyneth. You're right. So, but uh, it's so it, it it gives you hints of oh, this must be what like the during the interregnum. Yeah, interregnum. That's the time. Mm-hmm. The slight period of time that Dorini were ruling. ruling in blood, I would gather, given why the way people react to mm-hmm. it. Well, from what from what we gather in the book and knowing more of the series, there was a period very near the end where the Dorini who were ruling and were harsh and all that, and the People rebelled and all that, and that's what people remember because it was the last thing they remember. Mm-hmm. So. And that it was led, then the rebellion was led by a Dorini, whom we yes. get, who was then made into a saint, and then yeah. everyone decided that no, he's not going to be a saint. He's now going to be the incarnation of evil. Yeah. 
Yeah, although there are there's still um, there's still iconography and things uh, to this saint Durrani, right? The, um, in in the the holy buildings and in the texts and all that kind of stuff, they've just sort of yes. shuffled it to the side, decided to ignore that part, right? Well, it's uh, from they do mention that uh, these are older buildings. Mm-hmm. And that if it was in a modern structure, they wouldn't these, have included it. They would not have been there. Yeah. And that uh, Brian himself was a great um, believer in Saint Camber. 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 Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And Camber of Culty. Yes. Well. He, he, I believe. I gather he becomes more important as the series goes on. Mm-hmm. You know, you get glimpses glimpses of what might be him. Acting through Morgan, yeah, I maybe. Mean, as he mentioned, as I mentioned, he's the patron of magic, patron of the Dorini. So, mm-hmm. for the, for a book centered on a series on the Dorini, of course, it'll get a little bit more, more important. important. Mm-hmm. But you, you start seeing glimpses of him and all that, and plus you have uh, so you have Morgan, who's the the public Dorini that everyone knows, who's a Dorini. Then there was his cousin, uh, Duncan, Duncan mm-hmm. McLeod. McLeod? Yes. Really? I believe it was a... Is it really McLeod? <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. It's like, okay, then I'm like, McLeod, really? Yes. We're getting into Highlander territory. Yeah, exactly. well, and, we, and we can have only one at the end, so... Yeah. <laughs> but Duncan, who's also Dorini... But he keeps it hidden because he is a member of the church, and that mm-hmm. would be bad for him to be revealed. Yeah, and and we've sort of uh, talked around the setting a little bit, but I want to talk about the setting um, because the setting is is um, unique to me because in many ways it feels like the author has tried very hard to put this story in a a historic setting on Earth. With different history and different wor- different you know nations or whatever, and and this this magic you know people the Durrani in it as well. well uh, but I mean, you you don't have um, fantasy names. You have Brian. You know, um, you don't have a lot of high magic. I would even argue. I th- I don't feel like the Durrani magic is particularly like crazy and flamboyant, and, and there's not a lot of magic items running around, and you don't have the typical fantasy races and, and monsters, although there's a couple, you know, uh, what, we see one monster, right? Um, it's just, it, it feels like splicing, you know, a historical fiction and a fantasy story together, you know? Well, she, uh, Catherine Kurtz, is a, uh, has, um, I think, either a master's or a doctorate in, uh, in medieval uh, history. Mm-hmm. So she did base herself heavily off, off uh, that time period because she was a great admirer of it and could research it. Mm-hmm. So yes, you're quite right in terms of the the fact that it's based off of something based in reality. Mm-hmm. It's and it could almost be like an alternate history because lo- looking at how the church is formed in this, I'm looking at this going, wow, it's like reading. History of the church. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they even ha- they even use the symbol of the crucifix, right? And it's like, well, if they don't have the same history, why would they have the same iconography? You know. <laughs> so I think, and, and I don't know that maybe the prequels or, or even later on they sort of uh, explain some of that. But but just from what I'm reading here, I'm like, 
this is a weird like they just took the Catholic Church and stuck it into this fantasy world, and and, and that's interesting. You know, and maybe you know in the seventies people had different expectations or whatever, but um, it certainly wasn't what I expected. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it was unexpected. Yeah, when she's also part of the SCA, uh, Society for Creative Anachronism, mm-hmm. so that may have fed into it too a little bit. Yeah, no, uh, it's it's definitely. For me, I, I look at this and I'm like, it's definitely a first book. Mm. There's a yeah. lot in there that is like, oh, that looks like it should be a cool idea to put it in there. And it works, but there's not much else you can do with it mm. later on. I know that she says that some of the things that appear in the first the first trilogy never show up again. Mm. Because mm. she agreed that, oh, okay, that doesn't work as well. So... Do you have any? Do you remember any examples? I'm just, um, I'm just like curious. The rhyming spells, the spells mm. written in poetry. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that disappears by the second book. Okay. Part of it is because she's like, it's too hard to write. Sure. Um, the other one is the Spenix, the 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 monster you were talking about. Oh yeah. That Which was see. like the only monster we saw in the whole thing, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, there's there's others mentioned, but they're not really right. seen. Yeah. Uh, and that's another thing that, uh, she relegates into, uh, that, that particular type of monster does not appear again. Okay. Uh, so I, I think she tries to go a little bit more, um, n- if not, not exactly realistic, but lower fantasy? lower fantasy, yes. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, it was already pretty, fairly low fantasy anyway, the whole story and the setting, right? Um, it's basically, it, it, it very much, like you said, it, it could have been an alternate history, right? It basically felt to me like, well, what if um, world history, Earth history, you know, uh, several thousand years ago, this magical race just sort of uh, popped in, right? Whether from another world or whatever. Uh, and then how does that affect the world history? And this is what you get. One one thing that I have to point out, uh, it doesn't have to do with the story itself, but I don't know how you felt about it, Jeff. I find it a little hard to follow the Audible book. Oh yeah, why is that? I don't I don't know if it, maybe it was just sleep deprivation with the <laughs> accent of the uh, the person, but for some reason I kept m- missing words or something. I don't know. No, I um I followed it pretty well. Um, I mean, I followed it better than the, the last book we read because I followed the story and the setting a little bit better, right? I right. thought the, I thought the performance was was fine. Um, I didn't miss anything because of like uh, the the reader's accent. Um, okay, I, I didn't feel like um, so it might have been you know a sleep deprivation for you. I don't know, <laughs> um, or it might have been you know that I, I've I also have been listening to enough audio um, at this point in my you know in my life that. Um, I, I sort of get used to the fact that sometimes my, my mind wanders or whatever and I miss something and I've just gotten used to sort of filling in the gaps on my own or just accepting it and moving past it. Yeah, that's kind of, so. I think, what happens sometimes. Yeah. Uh, particularly because, like, the, the la- I think the second half of the book or so seems to pick up the pace of it, but the very beginning part, because we were talking about the, in the Noble Knight ad about mm-hmm. uh, the type of stuff that's in the game, it seems like there was a lot more of that, like the the politics or just... Uh, yeah. the, whole, the whole book is really uh, very... Uh, it's about machinations and politics and, and 
courtly stuff, right? Yeah. Um, there's there's two fights in the whole thing. The first fight at the start. Okay, three fights. The first fight, the monster fight, and the the magic duel at the end. Yeah. Right. That's pretty much it. Uh, although the magic duel at the end takes like what two three chapters. <laughs> so it, well, it's not fast combat like the last book was, right? <laughs> Well, there are some fights that happen off screen. Yes. Because, yes, the, the importance is more about Kelson getting to the throne mm. and w- coming into his own mm. than about how, like, uh, than about the fights he needs to get there. It's more the, the fact that I guess he needs to differentiate himself from his father. Mm-hmm. Though at the same time, we don't know his father, so that's a little bit odd. Right. We do but. get a glimpse of him from them mentioning stuff, but it's only from perspective of other people. Yeah. So view for, view of him. And I got the impression from some of the the reading I did on Wikipedia. So you know, take that with a grain of salt. Um, but I got the impression that this wasn't the first book she wrote in the setting, but the first one she published in the setting. So she may be referencing history that she knows. You know, because Brian is a well-established character to her, and it's just not to, for us. There's that that possibility too. That basically she, she might have did her world building advance, had her notes, and she's basically referring to that, but not. But we haven't had that experience. We haven't had that experience, right? No. Although there was, you know, there's prequel books, right? So we we yeah. could, we could go back and get a lot of that. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's an interesting setting. It's an interesting sort of um, world. I like the the idea of the saints sort of playing the role of the pantheon. Like it's not the, your typical fantasy, you know, um, um, polytheistic religious setting. Uh, but to fill the same gaps, you have the saints, and we even have one that I guess he doesn't actually appear. Camber doesn't actually appear. It's but it's some. Some you know follower or whatever, some aspect of of Camber that was appearing. Is that what we figured out? I'm trying to remember. That's what it says. Oh, sorry, go ahead. It's it's actually it's it's left purposefully vague. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, because um, like the image that he sees is Cam is uh, is the image that you find in the book of Saint Camber. But then at the end, when the uh, it's like an avatar that's speaking because he said he says. Uh, he's like he's sent from Saint Camber, right? So it, it's kind of left up in the air. Yeah. Is this actually like magic? Is this mm-hmm. spiritual? Is what is this? You don't know. Yeah. Read more to find out. Right. <laughs> so, so I, I feel like you've basically got a, a, a god system where where there is the one established god, right? It, it, it there is the one church. There is the monotheistic religion, but to fill in the gaps of of the typical fantasy with the polytheistic uh, pantheon, you've got all these saints, right? That fill in the different portfolios that normally would have been different gods in another setting. And then apparently they even have servants or whatever, right? If they're sending people. (laughs) Or even in, uh, even if you look at medieval times, that's what saints were. Yeah. So they slowly replaced all of the, all of the gods that were there. And you would, instead of praying to, um, you know, Juno, you'd start playing to uh, St. Hestia, who then uh, slowly became another saint for, you know, uh, I think the Virgin Mary for um, family. So it it slowly became that, you know, it would appropriate. And so you have a whole bunch of saints that you, you pray to, 
as, almost as if they were gods themselves. Mm -hmm. But of course, that's going a little bit, you know, analyzing our own history. So. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. One thing of note, though, is though that Dorini is not the only source of magic in the world because the royal family it, it mentioned that they also have their own magic, and that's what part of the coronation is to for Kelson is to unlock his magical abilities. Yeah, but even that was was taught to the humans by by Camber, right? By the Durani. Yeah, and that's why Camber became a saint is because he's a Durani who taught the humans how to unlock their own magical potential. Well, yes, unlock their own. Right. So that means that there is still that difference because probably um, because now Kelson has all the memories of his father's spells and or or even going back generations when there's also the stuff that he he instinctively knows is a der half Dorini right um so which, which is a whole other interesting um issue right is that he goes from being powerless to instantaneously being powerful enough to take on a a evil sorceress right a yeah. practiced well experienced evil sorceress that he takes on and wins in his first duel ever using magic yep well that's but that is the thing is that that's why they, that's why when they figured out in like ha about halfway through the book that oh he has Dorini he's part Dorini he's most likely part Dorini but we haven't trained him in that so it's not really possible for him to win a duel with just the Dorini powers he needs to inherit his father's powers yeah. who have the memories attached to it because they're very much pushing on the psionic angle where magic is attached to memory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, they also mentioned sometime from my gather that I got the impression that Kelson, as a kid, even though he didn't have the mention of it, was still, he was being, still being he was taught, taught by the, Duncan and Brian the things. Yeah, the roads to be able to use the magic when he will be inheriting that magic in the future. Yeah, it sounds like Brian... Um, had a lot of uh, time and, and thought put into um, preparing his son, right? Yes. So, so I mean, there was the the ritual that he set up ahead of time for how his son would inherit his powers once he once he was uh, Brian was, himself was dead. There was you know, even in the beginning um, when we first meet Brian and Kelson, there's a lot of conversation about him sort of training his son and preparing his son to be a ruler. Um, you know, the, and, and the instructions of if this doesn't go well, go find Morgan because Morgan specifically would, you know, know what to do and, and get him set up, right? There was a lot of forethought. Like, how much of this time, how much time did Brian spend as the ruler not ruling but instead preparing for him dying, you know? Well, it, which is refreshing in a way because a lot of the time you have characters who are then thrown into some sort of uh, – the inheritance that they have no knowledge of and no preparation for mm. which sometimes doesn't make sense because you've lived with this person your entire life and you know nothing about this so i do like the, that aspect of oh you're my mm. son you will one day inherit this so i will teach you all i know sure which includes magic i do like smart characters that, yes. that, that you know do smart things and, and are prepared so that that's a that's a good aspect. It's like for me, there's there's a there's a lot of little things in this book that I'm like, ah, uh, you skip too much, or mm -hmm. you, you're not explaining properly, mm -hmm. absolutely, and, and and stuff like that. But at least for for me, the the book holds itself together pretty well, and you still the 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 story is easy to follow and and still 
entertaining. Mm-hmm. So, how much of of the the things that are I don't want to say jarring, but uh, but a little bit off to us. How much of that is is because it was her first book, and she was less experienced as an author, and how much of that is um, is the time period that it was published? You know, there there was a, a different expectation in terms of of writing, um, and a different thing that audiences were looking for in, in 1970 um, than audiences are looking for in, in 2015. I found a bit of both because I know that there's some things that I'm like, oh wow, that's a trope, and then I'm like, wait, this is like written in 1970 something mm-hmm. 1970 published so i'm like well that means this is the beginning of the tropes well, so that that's understandable but again there's some of them where you're like you have a character left dangling that was introduced kind of in a way that for me was like they could become important or it could mean something and then they just kind of disappear so things like that for me that's a that's like a first first book mistake mm-hmm. This is the first book they, they've written. They're like enthusiastic and it's like, oh, you need to know about this. But it's not really all as important yeah. as I make it look. And sometimes no. they, they sometimes I, I don't know that it's even the stuff that we need to know, but it's like she she's struggling to figure out what the cool is, you know? There, there's the, the really cool stuff that she could give us more of and she's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sometimes it's the, the getting into the titles and, and, and all that is, is a little bit less interesting to me, but she spends more time on it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and I oh, I had another question. Oh, oh, uh, speaking of an artifact of the time, um, is it an artifact of the time that every named female character is a bad guy? <laughs> yeah. I was wondering about <laughs> from, that from a female author, even. But I, you know, I imagine, you know, it, I did note that actually. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> me too. I, reading that, I was like, okay, the only two characters, the only two prominent female characters in the book are nemesis of the main character. And one is a scheming, manipulative B-word. And the other one is a whiny, uh, weak, and um, completely, what's the other, um, she's, she's, uh, she denies her own nature. Um, in your own? No. No. Uh, but it, she, she is, um, See, I don't, you know, I, they're, they're two extremes of horrible female, beha- horrible stereotypical female behavior. Yes, and I don't know that I would have, um, I don't know that I would have described the mother as being weak. Like she was pretty manipulating in whatever, at, uh, especially in the first half. She just got out manipulated by Kelson. Well, for me, I call it's because she is. She's not weak in terms of like mentally or anything like that, but she is prey to emotion. She's doing this Mm -hmm. because she's afraid. She's doing this because she um, does not understand the this this attachment of magic to the the throne. So for me this is very much portrayed as like women if they're emotional they're weak. See she spends a lot of her time focusing on making sure she does not she she looks the part of like the ice that she's icy because this way they won't think her weak, but mm. they focus on the, ha- the fact that her hands are trembling, trembling mm-hmm. three quarters of the time, and that you know she looks off into space and and things like that. So it's the the emotionally not there or very much. Um, she's a woman grieving. 
So there's yeah. that. Sort of. Although there's sort of this implication that as much as she's grieving, um, the relationship that she had with her husband wasn't like super tight, right? Because her husband years ago, whatever, uh, however long ago, um, brought Morgan into into his, you know, circle. And she never liked Morgan. And, and it seemed like that distanced their relationship actually, pretty good. Actually, Morgan was there before she was. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, Morgan was there before she was. And but Morgan was just a page, uh, uh, squire. Squire, thank you. Wow. Uh, so he was just a squire until the 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 fight with the Marduk. Right. Uh, and then when it was revealed for powers, then she's like, "Oh, my religious convictions, no," and moved away for a month. Uh, and then it slowly came back. But right. they both they both were passionate about each other. Yeah. So I I think there was love there. It's just it's showing that you can't just because you love someone doesn't mean you understand them. I can attest to that. Uh, And uh, although I would say, I mean, I mean, it's a story, right? So emotion drives a lot of the characters. It's not just her as a woman. Uh, And I would argue that the shattered one, who you described as as the the powerful, you know, um, uh, strong one, um, was also driven by emotion. It's just it was a different emotion, right? Her emotion was anger. Yeah, Yeah. revenge. Revenge. Yeah, vengeful. So, but I mean, in fairness. Uh, the other characters were driven by emotion as well, right? Yeah. Whether mm-hmm. it's it's loyalty or duty or whatever. But that's the thing, is that the loyalty, the duty, the the strong sure. yeah, quote, been, quote, good emotions <laughs> are ascribed to men. But, again... Because they're the heroes and the women are all villains. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. so the, it's there's this uh, this aspect of, yes, there's a little bit of favoritism, but... It is. It's a product of its times okay. in both ways. Because in when you're talking medieval, yes, some women had power, but most did not. Mm-hmm. So, and if they had power, a lot of times it was the more subtle, more likely to be about manipulation sort of power. Anyway, right? Exactly. The power behind the throne, not the power on the throne. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, uh, any other thoughts or questions or discussion points? What, what do we? What can we take from this story uh, and inspire ourselves in a in a D and D setting? Well, uh, it is possibly a way of for introducing psionic characters and well, for magic and all that in your D and D game. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know that that the magic felt always psionic, but some of it certainly felt psionic, yeah. right? Uh, Some of it was felt more divine, you know. Yeah. Uh, but basically, it, I always feel that the Dorini, the magic, seems to be come from within themselves, which is usually uh, ascribed to psionic powers. Mm-hmm. So that's probably a way of mm-hmm. introducing a group and all that. It's kind of like in Eberron, where you have those that race the Kalashtar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Kalashtar could have been the Durani, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So because they look generally human, you can't really tell the difference. Prince, they come from a different place and mm-hmm. came about. So <laughs> there might have been some 
instances there. So, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, you that that's probably something. Else, but or if but if someone wants a decent medieval fantasy, like historical, a lot close, more low, the world of Dorian can be can can take some inspiration from that. Well, and also if you want more of a low magic setting, because traditionally D&D &D is pretty high magic in just about everything, if you, you can also use that as a way to tone, tone it down in terms of, well, what are the limits that make magic work and use the, the Dorini system as as something to, to either base yourself off of, mm -hmm. or at least uh, have a comparison for. So, you could also uh, expand it a little bit by using uh, the TV show Merlin, because in that in that show uh, there was still magic, kind of similar to this, but it was outlawed by the king. Mm. So, mm -hmm. uh, which well, is kind of similar to here. So, which, which is not dissimilar to how second edition psionics were sort of handled as well. The the assumed setting for D anD D was if you had psionics in second edition, you were kind of hunted down as a witch, sort of. You know, which gives a similar sort of um, feel here. Um, and I think there's there's elements that you can pull out as well uh, in different ways. I, I kind of really liked the. Um, the whole going into the crypt to get the the item that was it the ring or the mm -hmm. the gem out of the out of the yeah from the father yeah that they needed from the crypt but I I like that whole idea of, of sneaking down to the crypt and having to get this item and then they they find the crypt but it's not the right person because they've been magically you know there's an illusion on them or whatever uh, in death so that people would be confused if they went down and were looking for things there um, yes you also a, could have a really full pantheon so that. You get mm -hmm. uh, confused by whether it's a defender or a protector. Mm -hmm. And I and I've de speaking of pantheons, I've designed pantheons around this similar idea of a basically monotheistic uh, pantheon, but with you know a collection of saints to to fill in that that sort of uh, system. Um, and and I feel like there's um, you know if you want to get really specific, there's some inspiration here for a way to handle the hey we're 12th level and my character died and I'm bringing in a new character. You know, how can we justify the the high power, you know, the powerful character without, you know, that doesn't have the background of how he got there, right? Well, maybe he's a new adventurer and he just inherited these powers because there's the special ritual that he was able to, to go through or whatever, right? And so that could sort of um, be a bit of inspiration for that too. So then you don't have to come up with 12 levels of backstory. Um, your first you, adventure for that, for that new character that's coming in. Right. It's, it's my first adventure, but I totally just inherited all my, my father, the Archwizard's yeah. power. So I'm good to go. I'm 14. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm 14. I know everything. How, I need that's to not do. how old Kelson is, is he? Yes. Yeah. Oh, really? Wow. He actually he turned 14 when the clock struck three. Right. But he had lost track of time because he's 14, and it was right. <laughs> and then it was striking four, was and then he's like, four, yeah. "Oh, wait! I've been king for a whole hour already." Yeah. Yeah, that was actually one of my favorite moments, though, uh, yes. because it was very real and it showed that he was a little skinny. He he came off way too mature to be fourteen, but I guess the, uh, for the time period that she's emulating, it's it's the age of majority, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also that it's one thing that they did show off well is that um, he does have boyish moments, but that he kept impressing the people he knew the most that mm. about how mature he actually was, because there's always this 
oh, you're only this age, therefore you cannot do this. And then he goes around and does it, and then surprises everyone on how well he did it. I mean, the way the way he outsmarted his own mother and a room full of experienced politicians <laughs> is, is a level of maturity that, I mean, I guess maybe because they underestimated him, that's the only reason he was able to pull that off. But, uh, you know, that that's a level but, of maturity. It's like, well, they've been scheming like this for decades. How are the, How is he better at it than them, you know? Well, it's also because it was a stroke of, it was basically, it was a stroke of luck. Right. And, you know, it, inspiration struck. Because sometimes you get that genius idea right at the nick of time. Right. So, um, but then, I, I don't know, if saying that he's he wouldn't be able to do this is kind of to take away from the achievement that Kelson did do yeah. with that. Yeah. So. But also the fact for that specific scene, he also had requested that that meeting to be delayed for him to so So maybe he was sort of keeping that in the background, hoping to be king when he's there. But when they, they started but without him, He's like he was—he totally forgot and didn't keep track of time. So when he got there, he thought he was not king until wonderful discovered. Hey, yeah, I actually was king. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and that was that was tricky too, because I mean, clearly their laws work that way. But I don't know if that's the norm—that technically you're king when you're of age, as opposed to technically you're king when you're coronated. You know. Well, they—they they couldn't core they. Depends could, on where he coordinated because it. because of his the time that he was born, right? It was too late. Yeah, it was. The, but in in terms of yes, there's been all sorts of strange reasons on how you become a king because most like if you look at the English system, you're a king. You're a king when you're crowned, but right. you're still going to have a regent up to a certain age, right? Because you know if you're four years old, you're not going to be ruling properly, <laughs> right? Yeah, so I mean, and clearly there's there's an emphasis on the idea of law, right? Uh, yes. Which is why the the shattered one whose name who's actually uh, was it Carissa or something like that? Carissa, yes. Yeah. yeah, there's a reason that Carissa, who was the shattered one, the big the vi- big villain who uh, was behind all the the trouble that they were having, um, that she walked in and, and felt like she had a claim to the throne, um, which goes back to this history that we talked about, right? With the the Durrani interregnum. Um, and her father, the Marduk, and all that. Um, but it also, like, it didn't feel like... Nobody nobody acted like she was completely out of line. Like, yeah, she's totally got a claim, and now we have to answer to this, you know? Because there's this importance that all of them put on sort of the rule of law, no matter how convoluted and, and whatever it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And, although they never really call out the rule of law, but they certainly show it through their actions. That that's really important to them. Well... That's one way of getting around the whole. I don't want to write the laws, but everyone needs to respect them. <laughs> yeah. So. Very good. So, any other thoughts? Any other uh, things we want to mention or questions we want to ask? Uh, one thing that's a bit tied to the uh, the, uh, the role playing game the, the cubes that they use to make the words, those yeah. were black. And four white cubes mm-hmm. for the to make, to make the words and all that. Uh, for the the, the fudge, they, they do sell a set of dice. Yeah, they do. They, they do have the fudge dice that are the black and white. I mean, it's black just a black and white set of dice, right? So you can't. Yeah, it's, it's basically a black and white set of dice. But basically, it's if you want play the game, you can and you want to recreate a word in your role playing. 
Yeah, the appre- right because that was um, yeah that was he used the they was it Morgan used the cubes when he set up the ward or yeah to protect uh, so it's, Cal- it, the- it's part of at least a subsystem of their the magic system that they use in the setting. Um, but yeah, I didn't even I didn't even think about that. I saw the entry for Dorini dice, and I'm like, well, yeah, they're just they're just fudge dice, whatever. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It didn't even it didn't even occur to me that they're black and white, just like the ones that are described yeah. in in the story. I mean, they're not particularly remarkable. They're just black yeah. and, black and white fudge dice. <laughs> but, yeah, or it's just black and white fudge dice. But it's a little thought of mm-hmm. to the game that it's always neat that they manage. Very cool. All right. No more last thoughts? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> All right. And that's the end of this episode of the Tome Show Book Club. We want to say thanks to Eric M. Paquette, who you can find on Twitter at Eric M. Pack, P-A-Q. Any other places people want to find you? Uh, that's pretty much where you can find me. And then we've also got Christine, who I'm going to go from memory. Last name is Belmare. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> Christine, where can people find you, or can they? Are you a stealth ninja? No, no, I'm pretty much silent on the web. Okay. <laughs> you can't find her. She's a ninja. She'll find you. You're a totem show. Yeah. Uh, and we also want to thank Noble Knight, our sponsor, for their support, uh, and our listeners for using our affiliate links over at Amazon and D&D Classics. And if you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call our biz line at 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. It's 919-BizTome. And you can find show notes and other great Tome Show shows over at thetomeshow.com. That's our thought of Dereni Rising, the first book of this series written in ni- uh, 1970. Uh, it's older than me. Uh, we'll be back next month reading Furies of Calderon by Jim Butcher. Until then, keep turning the page, Tomites. I'm not a